95BFM's Art Bank. That was Marlon Williams, and I've got Heidi Brickle on the line. We're going to be talking about uh, Pakanga for the Lost Girl, which is Heidi's show at St Paul Street. And of course, regular listeners will know Heidi from her stint on Art Bank. Hi. Theo, how's it going? It's good, how are you? Also good, <laughs> as we just discussed. I'm getting getting thrashed in a game of chess online, so, yeah, way to destroy my confidence before an interview, public interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine, you know, you've been working on this exhibition for about, was it five or six weeks in the gallery? Yeah, I had I had four weeks there, I think. Yeah, and it's this, it's an, you know it's a really elaborate uh, installation, um, this you know big commission, and I think I would just be just be wiped, you know. Uh, yeah, how are you feeling? I mean, after all I am wiped. I mean, that's exactly how I feel. Um, my, <laughs> my brain is in low functioning mode. I mean, that those four and five weeks that I spent in the gallery that was so amazing to have, just because of the, um, the policies, which meant no one could visit for a while, and then the time we set, uh, but I mean, I spent the whole summer working on this exhibition before that, that, that was just the, the tip of it. Yeah, they kind of like <laughs> last you would have seen there. Um, Yeah, and, and I made some quite different decisions after getting into the gallery about how to, like, I only cut the holes in those paintings that you see after moving into the gallery and making a decision to do that. Well, for people who aren't familiar with your practice, you know, as a painter, as a sculptor, how how do you sort of introduce yourself? You know, if you're at a party and someone's like, "Oh, you're an artist," what does that mean? What what what's your sort of go to sentences? <laughs> uh, I'm terrible at them, but um, someone someone recently kind of made a joke about my work where they were like, "Heidi's auto drawing sculpture installation painting practice," and I said that actually pretty much that's actually quite apt. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, um, I mean, it might be easier if I just talk about the, the, the show particularly, because I guess I, guess I I guess I make as, for me, making is like a, it's like a, a way to materialise thinking. So it's probably primarily based in drawing, although it always takes painting in some form, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the work we're talking about in particular this morning is this very, it's these, you know, large hanging sculptures but there's so much painting technique in them um and how long have you been working with painting as a kind of dominant part of your practice well it's it's always been the thing that has dominated um i don't know i mean since i was a child you know i was a painter so and i i think all throughout you know my time all throughout art school i always was trying to branch into other things i'm, I'm really interested in other art forms but I honestly throughout my my many years in and out of art school I would always be pushed into painting or told your other stuff sucks you know you're you're a great painter your other stuff sucks um and um but you know I think over the years I like my I think over the years I sort of always made moves towards just I don't know just there's painting there It it is a natural language for me but yeah working in across other mediums. Yeah, because you're kind of working with these um, yeah, large triangular forms, which is what you're painting on, and then you also have these uh, kind of woven together pieces of, I think, driftwood, am I right? Uh, they're not driftwood, they're, um, they're mainly Rako, which I guess started um, in, in the lockdown, like many people's work. <laughs> I noticed that Rako or sticks are you know, featuring in 
quite a few people's work and they have probably a, a 2020 lockdown material, but they came from a, a plum tree that I have in my back garden. And then actually I found a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people helped me with work for this for this exhibition. I wanted to sort of be a part of it and I loved it because we would sit around having wananga, but people started to sort of contribute ako from their places as well. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a, a mixture of a lot of different types of wood in the end. And that's quite different from the painted work, right? Like it's these, yeah, these tall hanging structures. Um, and yeah, I mean, is that something like you say that that really came into the, into your thinking about a gallery exhibition after well, the lockdown? Well, no, I don't. I don't really see them as being very different from the painted work because I, I guess the kind of the linear strategy that I use in my painting, you know, like I started doing that, I think around twenty eighteen. Um, I started working with that kind of visual language and I've, I've sort of been continued with it ever since but pulling the threads off the you know when you tear a canvas to stretch it and the threads come off and then you I, I guess I started playing with them as a way to sort of start an image because of, I guess it's got so many limitations and it also it's always making you decide between like a, a, a definite positive or negative rather than anywhere in between so it, I don't know it does interesting things but since doing that, I've always been wanting to find a more. I'm always working towards an immersive, uh, an immersive experience. So I wanted to find a way to make something linear that could that could be linear in space. Um, it's actually really hard to find a material that that can hold its shape um, <laughs> and work in a linear way. So I've I've also um, done with calc over the past couple of years. Had the rinurata, rinurimu. Um, but no, for me, those rako were kind of just a, you know, they were another attempt at getting towards that. How can I make, how can I use line in space? And I guess binding them together. Um, and I guess there are those, the forms that I have in that show, I guess they start from sort of like ladders, um, which in some ways it's kind of, it's, it's got a caught it all going on with arapotama forms, like, you know, staircases, um, or, and then in some ways when I put the strings close together, they, they sort of become more like spines, but um, I guess that's like the first iteration of how those rako are working towards a linear form in space, so that it can be like a more immersive, a space that you can go inside, you know, I guess painting on a canvas is really practical for storage reasons, um, and display reasons, but, well, not, yeah, for storage. Ow. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love, I love to kind of the idea of being able to get inside, get inside an experience more than standing on the outside looking at it. It's interesting you say that because, you know, I went to uh, the opening, I was at, it was last week, yeah, on last Friday, and then a couple of nights later I walked past the gallery and you know, being inside the space is so different than being outside. We have these wonderful big windows at St. Paul Street. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the sort of flat painting works are these inverted kind of triangles. But then when I was looking at them from the outside and walking past, the parallax made me really kind of see the negative space as like a mountain range. And it suddenly took on this whole kind of remarkable inversion I was wondering, yeah, that kind of like hanging structure, were you thinking about that in terms of like immersion or landscape? I, I, I mean, I was definitely thinking about it as an immersive architectural uh, 
way of thinking about it. I was, I guess I, I wouldn't say landscape. Um, that, that's quite surprising that you could see those, could see those things through it. It's quite cool. Um, I guess it's just more, maybe, maybe when you say inversion, like I'm definitely interested in that. I don't, I, I, I couldn't really give you, couldn't really give you some kind of reasoning for it, but it's, it's something visually that is, seems to be a trope that I'm, I'm always really interested in is one thing popping forward and then another thing, you know, I guess where you sort of, you um, fixate on one type of logic of how you're perceiving something and then that gets kind of overwhelmed by another perception and it's the way that they can have this kind of, not, not simultaneity, but they they can come back and forward. So I guess when I was thinking about those uh, those sort of yeah, triangle shapes in space. I was, I mean, it, in some ways, I, I guess the um, the kind of the I would call it the ururua, the the mango party, sort of a shape in a core sci-fi. That it tends to be a form that emerges a lot in my drawings because it's it's kind of an arrow. And in some ways, I think when I came up with that idea of making an exhibition, which was going to be a lot of triangles in the space, in some ways, I wanted it. Um, I guess there was something in my mind about it signifying a kind of a, like a directionality, so putting them in the space, although they morphed, and so now they're sort of hanging more like shards in the way that they orient down. Um, there was an idea about sort of triangular shapes which make an arrow kind of dividing up the space and having a sense of movement about them. When did you start yeah. Yeah, thinking about this project? I mean, when were you approached and how long were you kind of... <laughs> Yeah, you know, developing ideas because it is quite a, it's quite a specific space, but also you opening this show felt quite significant because it's been a long time since, you know, over successive lockdowns since St. Paul Street has really been mm-hmm. kind of thriving as a public gallery. Um, yeah, when did that process start? Well, Cameron invited me to put a work in a, in a previous show, about two years ago, um, Cameron was developing a show, Fatiate Mapi, and I, I think there was a call out for submissions for it, but they asked me if, if I would be in it, um, and it was based on a particular work that they'd seen of mine. Um, and so we had the, yeah, we had, you know, we had a, there was a lot I was really excited about it. I'd never actually been in, included in an institutional show before, so... Um, I was really excited about that, and then the whole thing with uh, the restructure happened, and that show was that show got you know backed out by with, that with a lot of along with a lot of people, um, and um, it yeah. So I guess, but then later on, I don't know how many months passed between when that show got shut down, and then later on, Cameron asked me if I would if I'd like to have a solo, which was really amazing for me because it. You know, I think a curator investing in it, you know, it's an investment of theirs in an artist, and I hadn't I hadn't even been in any group institutional shows before. So, you know, Cameron took quite, quite a, a risk on me. <laughs> you know, like I, was, I was pretty pretty humbled to be asked to have a solo show there. And it's quite, a, yeah, it's quite a big deal to have that institutional support because, I mean, it kind of, I think, encourages an artist to do things at a larger scale than maybe is previously possible. And it is a, it's a big space to fill. Like, you know, you could, you could park a nice little range of sports cars in there if you wanted. Um, yeah. Was there some kind of trepidation about that? No, I was just, 
so I mean <laughs> no I was so excited I guess it is like you say um you've got space to do something quite ambitious which I guess there wasn't trepidation but there probably should have been more I think more what my you know, I tend to be like the, the visionary approach to something like this is all going to happen, not rather than the engineer's approach. So, you know, we'll do this and I'll figure out how it's going to work. So there is a whole lot of decisions I made which were so difficult to manage. Like those double-sided paintings, you know, I was making them at my kāinga over the whole summer and it's and the way the, the canvas is put onto um, the plywood, um, you know, every time I had to turn it. And then I'm painting with egg tempera, which hardens very quickly, but then... You know, it takes some time to set properly. So every time I turn them over and then have to be on top of them to work on them. <laughs> there was just a lot of impracticalities. I got rid of my bed in my study for a couple of months and I was just sleeping on a roll-out mattress which would just sort of duck over the lip of one of the paintings because of the floor space available. <laughs> so, no, I, I really embraced the ambition with, uh, with reckless abandon and then dealt with all of the consequences over the course of the summer. I feel like it is that really good thing when an artist, you know, you, you have that idea of what you want to do and so everything is just <laughs> going to have to, like, you know, I guess that's like the end of the funnel is this is going to happen or, like, you know, the, the Herzog thing, I'm going to drag this boat over a mountain and everything else <laughs> is just going to be dropped into the funnel on the chance that it'll be the thing that doesn't splash out and actually comes out that other end. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'm a little Herzog sort of a bit of a maker I guess <laughs> <laughs> um, you alluded you alluded to the uh, the egg tempera and I thought that was really interesting because there's this you know in the statement you talk about uh, your, your artist statement you talk about uh, drawing on this history of Fakaido and then mm -hmm. also you have this you know western mm -hmm. painting traditionalism or classicism like with you know you're using rabbit skin glue egg tempera beeswax like it's a real kind of canonical painting yeah. project and I was curious <laughs> you know that for want of a better word you know biculturalism is almost something it's sewn into every part of this project and I was wondering you know where that comes from for you mm -hmm. I mean obviously yeah okay yeah well <laughs> yeah. I'm, no I mean it's it's true because especially now there's, a, there's quite a lot of movement toward kind of indigenous pigments and materials so um and i guess i guess in some ways my working with Siri Murapa has been an expression of that but um no i i do sometimes think that i'm like oh there's a lot of other maori artists working with you know indigenous pigments and stuff I, the thing is i really like color um so i you know like i work uh, color is just something that's quite intrinsic to how i think visually um and i, I just see all these pigments in the shoppers for me getting deeper into paint exploration that was just uh, that was just where my my desire led me. But I'm just going to quickly um, explain the title for this show because I think that's got something in it about it. Like, so, so Pakanga for the Lost Girl. Pakanga is like a battle or a war. And Lost Girl, um, I called it that because it's a, it's like a literalization of the Māori word hinengaru, which is it's our word for the, I guess, like the mind-heart continuum or the like the psyche. And so it's, um, I called it that, but the reason I, I often use a lot of like Māori and Pākehā in the way I title my work, because I guess for me, like I said in the beginning like of this interview, making is a way of kind of externalising this or materialising 
you know, whatever, however your mind works or whatever's going on in there, like you never really, you're like, how, how's that even, you know, you have all these images in your mind and you're like, how are they there? Are they even 3D in my mind? Or like, you know, like, so, so making this stuff is a visualization of that. And for me, I guess a lot of my life has been about, I kind of hate to use the D word, but decolonization. Um, and, you know, that which starts with your own mind, you know, like there's, for me at least, there's often a, a thought about how do you do this in a way that is, how do you, in a way that is really authentic and life-affirming, um, you know, try to re, like uncover something which has had about two centuries of being like, really oppressed and buried and, and you know, smashed our mātauranga, a lot of it. Um, and how do you sort of, and so when you're learning te reo and I guess being into our Māori and trying to, like, but, you know, trying, for me at least, like trying to access where the whakaro of where the thought or where the, you know, how did our indigenous tupuna understand the world? And for me, like through language, you get a lot, you know, it's, it's amazing what it does reveal, but there's always a lot of mystery because you, I don't know, you know, to what extent can you know what, even in like present synchronic language, how can you understand what someone else is saying when they use any language, you know, but then especially trying to look back at that in a diachronic way, like into the past, how can you understand that? I've totally forgotten why I got on this deal. Well, like, thank the, you. yeah, okay, the, so the, the bicultural. Yeah, that vacillation <laughs> between Focado mm-hmm. and a Western painting canon. Yeah. yeah, for me, it's about it's about letting those languages all live together. Um, it's not about, to me, like, you know, decolonizing your mind. It's not about throwing out all of the new knowledge from the world because that you know I love all matauranga it's amazing um <laughs> I really love learning anything so it's not about throwing that stuff out but there is a it's just about I guess letting it be there in a way like you know those you know that temporary technique is something fun that I'm learning right now um is there in there along with I guess, I mean, uh, yeah, how we came up with describing that as whakairo, there was a bit of trepidation around that because I'm not, I'm not trained in any kind of customary Māori uh, making practices. But I, I think talking to a lot of people, there is a kind of spend a lot of time in various nui, and I think it, you know, I, it does inform the way that I think about, there's a, there's a wānanga going on that is under my work that is around, like, speaking to that, speaking to the way things are put together, the way things link to each other, the way space gets used in there, the way uh, representation of kind of recognisable things dissolves and comes back into being and the way different materials interact with each other. So, yeah, it's just about sort of, I don't know, there's some sort of letting things be as they are, not that I'm not making decisions, but Things emerge. Well, it's, I mean, this might yeah. be a, um, this might be a simplistic analogy, but one of the things I think about, you know, when you allude to Fakairo is the, um, you know, Lisa Dehana's digital marae and how she was using Photoshop as a way of trying to kind of understand that lineage in her kind of contemporary practice and, you know, coming out of like a right. video practice. And that kind of, yeah, translation to the modern to, I guess, working out how this ancestry or this history 
can really coexist with all these skills that you've invested in, like, you know, learning, learning to paint, using rabbit skin glue, all these things that are really important to you. And you don't want to just throw them away. You don't want to just throw away the fact that, you know, you know how to, you know, Lisa Dehana knew how to make a, a video work and how to express a kind of conceptual thesis in, you know, moving image. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of coexistence is something that I think has a, it's it's obviously has an interesting history in the last 20 years, but also has that interesting thing where, you know, when she was doing that in 2004, it was very provocative and now that's curling around where she's becoming this kind of, uh, you know, she becomes the establishment. Right. Um, but there's not really a question yeah, I, in that. <laughs> well, I can still say something to it, though. Like, I think um, I think there's been quite a shift that I've noticed with a lot of, um, I guess, people working in Māori art practice with, like, visual art, music as well, um, even even kind of, like, movement and theatre. I've kind of, you know, I've noticed there's a lot of, there's a whole, like, I think there's been... I'm just going to use the word, I'm just going to say revitalization. You know, this stuff's been happening for quite a few decades like in, a, in quite a strong and organized way since the 80s, and it's had a lot of struggles. But, you know, we are in a time now where you're seeing kind of like the intergenerational or like the, you know, there's there's been at least like three generations of that going on. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of like rangatahi young, young Māori who are, you know, obviously going to, you know, they're all hormonal and, <laughs> you know, like these are people who have been brought up and feel a lot more of a sense of permission than I think people in the past did. Um, I've done some quite, like, I guess um, one of my favourite writers about about this kind of thing is Te Rangihiroa Pānoho. Um, I think I remember reading something that they said about, um, what is it, like, colonise... The art of colonise Indigenous cultures is always kind of rightly assessed to its destructive potential because of, um, I guess, just... You know, having had a lot taken, there can be a lot of fear around further kind of, I guess, hybridising things or changing the forms of them just because you're sort of trying to hold on to something which has become scarce. Um, and so I think there's been a lot of, yeah, a lot of like, like probably when Lisa Rehana was making that work, it might have seemed like quite confronting to a lot of people. But for me now, there's, there's becoming more of an abundance within within things Māori, you know, like there's way more people who speak the language and it, and because of that it's being empowered to to sort of freely evolve without the same sense of uh, risk or even preciousness because there's, there's so many diverse voices who who come from that, that place of Māori tanga and having sort of internalised video and of a lot of things about the way we do things. Yeah, so... That's probably what I'd say to that non-Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sort of, you know, when you allude to this idea of history and, you know, like changes of the past few decades, it makes me think about something that we haven't touched on, I think, enough, which is that uh, you had a whole crew of of people in the gallery helping you. And it was really great mm-hmm. when I was walking past, you know, I'd see see all these, you know, every night there were different people. It was like people were doing shifts. Um <laughs> And I was wondering, you know, is that that collaborative, uh, that collaborative nature to your work? Is that something that you've played around with before? Um, and honestly, for much of my making life, I worked solo. You know, um, I had a show with Salome Tanuvasa at 
another question mark gallery a few years ago, and that was we collaborated quite a lot on the work we put in that. It was, it was in that sort of. Uh, I'm not sure if you know the space, but it's there was in viewers, yeah. listeners. Um, it, you know, it, it's a it's a shed in a garden, um, which was really fun. And we, you know, there's a there's a funny a toilet on the other side of that shed, and we're. I drilled a hole in the roof to put some kelp works going through it, connect those spaces. And, you know, we really collaborated on each other's work in that show. And that was the first time. So for me, making this show and the amount of people who just kept offering their, their help with me was quite amazing. Um, I guess it started because I... <laughs> it was such a big deal for me having this show that I basically refused to have any social life over the summer. And I, anybody wanting to hang out, it would... I would sort of say, yep, if you're prepared to come to my party and I make paintings and we hang out. Um, but a lot of the time when they were there, they'd just sort of offer their help. Um, and, you know, not, even people that I didn't know that well, like um, one of my one of my friend's sisters who I'd only just met came, she offered me, you know, like quite a Muller and my friend Karamir's sister um, came in, you know, she'd come regularly, make time, Sort of re-engineered the practice, so there was actually, all, yeah. So with winding those rako, I was initially just doing that with my hand, you know, winding the um, some string which I had sort of hand painted and wound around, dried in my garden, dyed it, um, and I was just winding it around with my hand. But um, yeah, Estelle was in the mix, and she, when she got here, she was like, "Oh, this is you're wasting so much time untangling the string all the time because the balls of wool, you know, the balls of string." wrap around each other and she was like have you got a you know have you got a drill and have you got some containers that we could put these each in separate things and then we could feed them through like a supermarket basket and she really set up this kind of DIY loom system which I then when other people started helping me um I'd uh you know I'd give them these baskets I'd make these baskets for them so that they all had their own DIY looms um it, it was really amazing the amount of people that just kind of chimed in on, on my art exhibition. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and your mum was there as well. Them. She was amazing. Yeah, so I so I paid a few people. I sort of paid my my one of my tenants, um, and and then a, a friend of my mum's also offered. So I I sort of paid, and I had one of my, one of my former students from my um Papa days also I started paying as a as an art assistant, so a studio assistant. So. There was a few people I was paying, but then my mum would sort of, she was amazing, she was sort of coordinating, like coordinating them, and then like my sister's Tanya would drive all the stuff into the city, and like, say, they live out west, and, um, you know, it was just so many people started helping me, and yeah, and my, my mum, I was kind of just uh, did a lot of that stuff along with them, for no, you know, no pay, no pay. <laughs> yeah, and there was a lot of people that just offered me their, you know, I did have a few people that I was like, okay, I'm paying you, so please, you know, this is, <laughs> this is how many of these we need finished. Um, but in saying that, a lot of them caught COVID in the last week, so then I really had to rely on that, just to talk to all my friends again. <laughs> and uh, you're sort of, you've been on, I feel like, a bit of a wave in the last year and a bit. You know, you um, you won an award at the Molly Morpeth Canada Awards last year, and then you had exhibitions uh, in, the, in Otatahi and Te Whanganui Atara in the mm-hmm. yeah, uh, beginning of this year and then you had a show at Paloodle last year, if I'm right. Mm-hmm. So it's quite, yeah, you've, been, yeah. you've been really busy. Like, it's been like a real role. <laughs> Is this sort of, do you get to take a bit of a break now? 
<laughs> I actually am, um, yeah, I have some, well, I have a show open, I'm, I have some work in a show opening, which is the commemoration of a karikari exhibition this Tuesday, it's at the Grace Base, um, and then I'm going to put a couple of works in at the, the second iteration of Jade Townsend's Ano Marama down um, in Commercial Bay um, next month, but apart from that, yeah, I am, I am taking a break from uh, any... What I have is three different collaborations that I want to work on with people after this show because having people help me has made me quite keen on collaborating with others just in a more, <laughs> in a more equal way. <laughs> where it's in a more, you know, there's their ideas coming, you know, the two of us creating something together in each of these, these ones. But I have about three of them and I'm just going to play with people. I don't want to, I am going to take a break from any kind of like finishing deadlines for a little bit. Yep. <laughs> Oh, cool. It sounds like it sounds like the answer is sort of no to that question. <laughs> sounds like you're, you're going to be incredibly busy. Um, but yeah, but in a, just in the in a, with a different with a different approach, a more processed uh, an approach that prioritizes process a bit more. <laughs> cool. I look forward to seeing um, to seeing uh, your work as it continues to develop and change in so many interesting ways. Uh, thanks so much for talking right. to me this morning, Heidi. It was really lovely to have you online. Yeah, good luck with you. And yeah, good luck um, with uh, with the chess. <laughs> I think I'm, think I'm finished. <laughs> um, <kaki> te. <laughs> Ciao. Bye. That was Heidi Brickle, and you can head along to St Paul Street to see Heidi's exhibition, and that's on until late June. We're going to jump into a track now. This is Dead Famous People, like Recycler Feet the Bard. You're listening to Outback on 95 BFM.